Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Interesting-ish podcast. I say everyone, but I really mean my 12 to 13 subscribers. Thank you for being my tried-and-true folks who have subscribed. The rest of you, feel free to click subscription. I'm going to hit something that you really like. It's going to be interesting-ish. In the micro of this episode, I want to create a little bit of momentum in the next week. It is September 2019, and this coming Saturday, September 14, the author that I'm about to interview, Charlotte Gatlin, will be at a book signing event in Rockford, Michigan at Epilogue Books. It's from 1 to 3 this coming Saturday, September 14. So if you find yourself north of Grand Rapids, please check that out. Go say hi to her, have a conversation, ask her a question. Uh, We had a great conversation, and I won't add too much to it. I don't have a quote ahead of time. It's a shorter conversation for interesting-ish. And it has just been really good to hear from her about the publishing process, as well as taking her memoirs of uh, challenges within marriage and mothering, and just really honoring the role of mothering. Um, I really dug it. It was really great. So I hope you enjoy it too. There are some notes down below. And I don't have a post-conversation. I don't have an invite for questions or comments, you know how to find me, and you will know at the end of this conversation how to find Charlotte. And if you're so inclined, reach out to either one of us. We'd love to talk with you, and uh, hope you enjoy more and more of the Interesting-ish podcast. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Interesting-ish. My name is Rick Myring, and with me today I have author Charlotte Gatlin. And she has just released her first book. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Uh, Tell us the name of your book. My book is called Real, uh, Mom's Journey from Expectation to Reality. Yeah. And this started out simply as personal individual journals? Yes. Walk us through that process. So I've wanted to do it for a really long time. I've always enjoyed writing, loved blogging and things like that. Um, aside from that, I had a lot of handwritten journals that I really never expected anybody to read. Mm-hmm. Um, that it was just for me. I had I kept them hidden so no one would accidentally come across them, kind of like the old key to them, you know, a little lock on. Oh, yeah. um, and <laughs> Hide I, it in your locker. Right? <laughs> no one will ever find the key. Um, I... And so I hit a point, actually, this just this last February, that I just decided to sit down and do it. Mm-hmm. So I literally got out my handwritten journals, and for a Saturday and Sunday, 12 hours each day, I didn't eat. All I did was type out my handwritten journals and pieced, pieced it all together. So wow. Yeah. It was emotional. It was a very emotional process to relive a lot of that, because I haven't read them in a long time. So. Mm-hmm. And so then as you, let's just stay maybe in the publishing process, because this is an interesting journey. As you take that and organize it and set it all out, you go through this emotional experience, Mm -hmm. but then you go into this kind of packaging experience. Right. What point do you uh, invite in these publishers and editors to start packaging that in a way that you can turn into a book? Yeah, I once I had it all typed, and it was way too long because I could be long-winded, um, and I wanted to shorten it, but I didn't know how or whatever, and I had heard advertisements for Westbow, 
um, knowing that they mm-hmm. their primary goal is getting people to tell their story. And so I called them just on a whim to say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, but I don't know anything about it. And so they sent me a publishing package and then they talked to me about how I'd want to proceed. And then I hung up the phone and I'm like, I'm actually going to do this. Yeah. Um, and so as time went on, I, I had a few obstacles within publishing. It was too long because of that. It was going to cost extra to do A, B, C, and D. To mm-hmm. have it edited professionally was an astronomical cost. Mm-hmm. But I was really blessed with someone that I work with offered to edit it for me. Awesome. And someone else that I know put together a GoFundMe so I could afford that, which awesome. was amazing. Um, so, yeah, it was a five month. Five months is all. Wow. From typing my journals to having a hardcover in my hand. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, so some of the themes of this podcast, Interesting-ish, has been I really want to drive people towards pivots that the, that, that the story that I'm presenting, that person's made in their life. And you taking that step to call a publisher. For a person like me, like I have moments where I'm excited and really believe in myself. Mm-hmm. And then other moments where I just shame myself and say, your content isn't worth it. It's not interesting. Nobody's going to want to read this. Um, I'm so proud of you for making that first phone call. And then at the end of it, you say, I thought this might be 18 months. It was only five months. (laughs) Well, I had all those feelings that you say I did. I Mm. felt defeated. I felt so many different things throughout the process. And, And working separate from that, as I do as a secretary, trying to balance those emotions because I'm, I can be an emotional person mm-hmm. from what my day job is to this passion that I so desperately wanted. And it did start to affect some people that I work with that I wasn't mm-hmm. doing my part. And so I had to find that balance. But part of my story is in that five-year time frame that this memoir is, um, my hero, my most influential person, uh, my dad, was diagnosed stage four mm-hmm. cancer and I lost him. And so putting all of that, writing that, and then typing all of that again was, that was really emotional because I went through all the feels from, you know, his diagnosis to all of the steps that it yeah. took before he passed. So I was kind of a hot mess, but yeah, it's good. Yeah. I think that's the interesting turning point with the content of this book mm-hmm. is um, you spent a lot of years walking through these moments of feeling enough is enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Um Walk us through um, these memoirs and kind of mm-hmm. what what the topics are. Yeah, I like I say, I've always wanted to be an author, and my kids tease me about it even hmm. now. Um, but just being very honest with early in my marriage, my ex husband started to show signs of some moods on and off. Uh, alcohol was a factor, and at that point in my life, I had never had a drink before. Hmm. Um, And so alcohol was nothing that would have been around unless it was for him. And he started hiding it. And then the mood swings were more and more. And then he was away from home more than he was at home. And having three small kids and trying to balance what motherhood looks like, what patience looks like when I'm glad he's not home because it's easier. But yet Mm. he's my husband. Um, And so 2010 to 2015 being the years that this book is. In 2010, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. And to me, I was like, yeah, and it's sunny outside. You know, it wasn't a surprise. But hearing, having a title was very difficult. And I I understood that. Um, But then the behaviors that came from and the decisions that were made on his part were pretty selfishly driven in addition to struggling with his mental health because he 
it became all about him rather than him saying, hey, I need help with this. And, mm. and part of the hiccup that we did run into was he didn't want his employer to know, but mm. that only allowed for a certain number of visits for counseling and medication and things. So there was quite a gap where he couldn't receive treatment because he didn't want to tell his employer. Wow. Um, really stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it was, it was, it was, there's that feeling of defeat again, mm. you know, like we got to get on this right track. And so within, that time frame it was very difficult and Christmas wasn't there and he got upset with me because I had approached him about because we had talked a lot about his sobriety and that it just wasn't helping with his meds and he was very angry with me and so that, he, that drinking wasn't helping right with medication. right because right. we had talked right. numerous times about who he was spending his time with he was gone every other night at the bar downtown. I, I know he was driving home under the influence. Mm-hmm. What if he killed someone? What if, you know, and I'm just all my life wanting to be a mom and I, I'm a mom now. And is this what this looks like? Mm-hmm. Um, I need to be 100% for my kids. But sometimes it was just so difficult to be that because I felt so alone, mm-hmm. you know, and ashamed. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it I was told was my fault mm-hmm. by him. So, yeah. I did a questionnaire with you and I I had a a quote that stands out that is interesting to me that I want to see if we can unpack a little bit. Um, I ask about titles and certifications, you know, just in case people want roles or or things they want to share about the journey they've been on. And you had written, I don't have any titles or roles or certifications except a mom, Mm -hmm. smiley face, (laughs) but mom is in capitals. Talk to me a little bit about this piece about um, the minimization of being a mother in years past and decades past Mm -hmm. and what that feels like. Over time, there's that expectation that, you know, mom wears an apron, house is clean, dinner's made, everybody's happy and clean. And Mm -hmm. that's not what motherhood looked like at all. But over time, I realized that I would have a consequence if the house was not vacuumed. So I got to a point where I feared if I didn't fulfill that role. And the first time that I had to leave with my my kiddos, I had canceled to get coffee with this set of girlfriends three or four times and finally had the courage to do it. And um, I talked to my sister because I said he's gonna be upset, but I had the table was set, the house was clean, dinner's on the table. When he'd get home from work, he would simply sit and enjoy the meal that I had prepared. Mm -hmm. I would be gone for a half an hour, 45 minutes, and then I'd come back and then I'd put the kids to bed. That was Mm -hmm. like, okay, justified to me like done all of my duties as a mom right um i got a couple miles down the road and he called me and all he said was you better come home the kids are afraid of me and he hung up Mm. and i've never been so terrified because the behavior came out on me but it never did to the kids and so i got home and found that that dinner i had made was on the floor and our dog was eating it and Mm. he said that's what you think of me and I just, I was terrified, packed a bag, kids and I left, went to my mom and dad's. Mm-hmm. And I was praying all night that he wouldn't commit suicide because that's where he was at. Um, and he, he did not. But just that role of mom and then going through all of this and then having the courage to file for divorce. And my kids have always been number one. Mm-hmm. And I didn't work for 10 years of my kids' childhood. And I, I wouldn't give a dime for, I wouldn't give anything to have you know, but that time with my kids. Yeah. I got to have that important time, that protective time. And mm-hmm. now I'm stepping away from, I don't have to be mom all the time. Yeah. 
So, yeah. Yeah. It, the story that comes to mind, I have a good friend that nannied for different families throughout um, her growing up and in her 20s. And one particular situation was an older sister with an autistic brother and dad was a pretty big salesman up and down the coast and he was gone all the time mom the reason she got in this nanny situation mom had been drinking and driving with the kids and a lot of challenges with this autistic child and just not feeling equipped Mm -hmm. and she was broken Mm -hmm. and then it got even worse with when it came to incarceration and my friend took a call from mom when she was several months into basically being with this kid, mm-hmm. being being with both kids, mothering them, having terrible breakdowns at the beach, um, and just really trying her best, but it not being enough, especially mm-hmm. being alone, mm-hmm. being an alone parent figure when the other one's either not present mm-hmm. or not well. Mm-hmm. And this mother called from jail and said, how are you doing? Hmm. And it was only that question and, and this friend just broke down because they started to see each other in a way of understanding how hard it is to mother, mm-hmm. plain and simple. Um, I know how hard it is to be in a marriage. Mm-hmm. I know how hard it is to take care of my two youngsters and I spend um, not nearly as much time with them as my wife does. Sure. And so this honor of when we say mom, has got to be out there and present with a crown. And so I just want to say to you, I can only imagine how that journey's been and just Mm -hmm. applaud you for for trudging through it. Thank you. But we also talk about turning points. Mm -hmm. And this book is about turning points where you had to make decisions for your safety. Yes. Uh, Talk to us about that. I, throughout the course of our marriage, it did, a lot of the behaviors escalated. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that much physical but it started to get more physical um emotional verbal Mm -hmm. financial which i didn't even know was a form of abuse (laughs) um but if i went to say target to buy a box of thank you notes because i'm very big on teaching my Mm. kids to send a thank you note who doesn't love getting good mail right but hey thank you for taking you know for christmas whatever it was it's kind of that art of getting them in that mindset that you're grateful right i would be scolded for having spent ten dollars um at target when I eventually took over our bills and realized how much he was spending and then he was very angry and that led to other things. But um, when I, when my most influential person in my life, my dad was telling me to get out, I, I just wasn't emotionally, physically ready yet. And I remember meeting with two of my really close girlfriends and praying together and thinking through, okay, if I do leave, I have nothing. I have no money on my own. I have all of these things, but I had to be okay with that. And so it took me a while. It took me a while to find that strength within myself to say, you know what, this is not what I want my kids to think a marriage looks like. This is not how a husband treats a wife. It took me a long time to realize that because I always thought it was my fault. Mm -hmm. And when I got to that point, it was happening. And I remember I had called, we were in marriage counseling and I had called the counselor to give her a heads up. Hey, when we meet with you, I'm going to tell him. And little side note, funny story, and this is in my book. My dad was running surveillance. He was afraid that Danny was going to harm me. Mm-hmm. And so he was off in the distance. I knew he was there. Um, but I did it. And because I did it, I had you know, those consequences. But I knew that no matter what, 
kids and I were going to be okay. Yeah. We have a lot of people that love us and a lot of people that supported us, and we never went without. So. Wow. Yeah, you talk about those consequences, and, and that's a heavy word um, of certainly not consequences that you have coming to you or that mm-hmm. you deserve, but there's consequences for leaving you know, that's what keeps people in these very challenging situations mm-hmm. of this household unit where there's salaries to provide mm-hmm. for the way we live and, and that we have a household and that we have food. You were at a point that you were ready to say, none of this may be here anymore, mm-hmm. but this is the decision I have to make. Mm-hmm. And I figured because our house was partially gutted, I knew that not having a job at the time, it, I was going to have to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so I looked into subsidized. I looked into where are we going to go. And uh, one of my uncles came along and said, you know what? I've been thinking of investing in a property. How about if I get a house for you and the kids? Which mm-hmm. was a tremendous gift. As that came along, um, the actual foreclosure on the house that the kids and I were, were living in that um, my ex-husband stopped payment on came in the middle of my dad's cancer you know, journey. And so my dad's family, my mom's family, all of them were just very much wanting to support me and the kids because that was something that my dad had always done. Mm-hmm. And we knew that because my dad having had cancer twice before, this was going to be his last. Mm-hmm. So it was really looking back, Just I'm just so grateful that people came alongside of us because of our whole situation, not just with struggling in my marriage and you know those normal things, but... We want to help you in the long run. And that also gave my dad comfort mm-hmm. because he knew that we'd be okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So talk to us a little bit about that timeline. You are canceling trash service. Mm-hmm. You are having to run to McDonald's for Wi-Fi service just to make connection mm-hmm. with some other people sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, things are bare bones. Absolutely. Um, in that storyline, your, your father... Um, gets diagnosed once again with cancer and mm-hmm. passes. Mm-hmm. In what time frame does that all? So I trudged through as long as I could. Um, in 2013, September of 2013 is when I went for it and I filed for divorce. And so all that hardship of knowing and things being taken away was that whole September, October, November into Christmas. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how many people um, anonymously would drop things on our porch or a Bible study that I'd gone two years before they brought food or, and it was just the perfect timing. It was always the perfect time. So it was an amazing lesson to the kids and I, that no matter what the Lord always provides, Uh because we never went without. Sometimes it was, you know, a spoonful of peanut butter, but you know what? (laughs) You had food to eat, you know? And, um, and I love to camp. And so for me, I don't need air conditioning or these things. So really, having those things in the home that my uncle provided for us it's it's just a little by level but mm-hmm. to me it's like a mansion it has walls mm-hmm. it has flooring mm-hmm. it's clean so being able to be thankful for that but so september i filed divorce was final in march um the same week in march two days after our divorce was final which that was a relief it was done mm-hmm. um i had to file for bankruptcy because he'd gotten us in a tremendous amount of debt in my name that I didn't know about. Mm. And either I had to pay for half of it, which again, what was I gonna do with that? Or file for bankruptcy. And that was a hit on my old pride because I always, you know, I always 
had money in the bank as yeah, before yeah. I was married. You know, it's yeah. just something that was. You took important. pride in good fiscal management. Make yeah. sure my credit score is good. Sure. I take care of business. Sure. And then three days after the bankruptcy, my dad was diagnosed. So that was mm-hmm. all within a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but I honestly, I remember just laying there in bed in the middle of this room with no curtains and no floor and just a mess of a house that the kids and I were getting foreclosed on. I kept waiting for that note on the front door. Just laying there and asking like, Lord, why does it have to be my dad? Why can't it be anybody else? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, that was tough. And then dad passed away 11 months later. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Do you feel like he had a sense of Charlotte has found strength and found safety? Um, at that time, I wasn't as bold as I am now. Mm-hmm. He was very worried about me. Uh, I was, I didn't even know how much he was. And recently I spent some time with one of my uncles who told me mm. that he got so irritated that all your dad did was talk about you and those three kids because he did. He wanted, my dad was just naturally a protector and I have a brother and sister and they've been fine and successful in their marriages and in their homes. And he felt the need to, you know, and I love that. I love that someone cared enough about me and my kid. My dad showed up for everything, even before he knew what was going on. There's never a practice or game or anything that he missed. So he actually, before he passed away, he got a little angry with me um, because I had filed uh, um, court paperwork to see if I could have my kids be supervised. And he got angry with me because he couldn't go to court and because he just was like, you gotta just roll with this. And I'm like, dad, I can't. And my pastor went with me and my sister went with me at court proceeding and I did not win supervised visitation. What, what is supervised visitation? I want to understand that. Um, just to make sure someone else was there when the okay. kids were with their dad. Oh, right, right. Because there had been a few times that I, I worked security for a while and I would bring him on his normal parenting time. I'd go to work my job. I got there, he called. My first instinct, I went right back mm. and had to have people come with me to make sure that he wasn't going to harm me or the kids that are on the other side of that door. Like, mm-hmm. I just needed to get them out. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to have peace of mind knowing someone else mm-hmm. was there. But at that time, I couldn't afford an attorney, and he had an attorney. And um, so there's a little old me standing up there, and he has someone as a mouthpiece, and yeah. I, and didn't I didn't happen. get it. But right. I, you know what? I was proud of myself because it's a court record that I tried. I was proud of myself that I actually did it on my own yeah. without my dad. Yeah. And so then over time, dad again slipped back into the, and he told me right before he died, two, three days before he passed away, that he was sorry and he planned on taking care of me, mm-hmm. but he couldn't. So, mm-hmm. yeah. This journey um, has a feeling of enough is enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And, um, just how much can you say, you know, either to the Almighty, how much can I right. go through here? But you talk a little bit too, you know, not that we wish hardships upon our kids or upon ourselves, but this piece of empathy and compassion that is coming out of your own children yeah, now. Absolutely. Touch on that a little bit. I, you know, you'd never wish that your kids, as much as I tried to protect or think they didn't see it, my kids knew what was going on at mm-hmm. home, especially my sons. Um, they were old enough. My daughter is still pretty young um, and so I, I like that now when they see their dad they don't see those things mm-hmm. as they've grown older and it's been a neat opportunity to see them at school offer to be a buddy to someone or things like that especially my oldest has this level of compassion all three of them do 
that when someone is acting different or someone's having a bad day, they're, they're the first one to say, but you don't know what else happened in their day versus just assuming the worst and being like, oh, they're so annoying or mm -hmm. they're out of control. There was an instance at school that my son witnessed and he was going to go help that kid that was struggling. He was struggling physically, so we, he had to be you know, put in a hold and everything mm -hmm. else. But my son's reaction was, but what did his day look like before that? So yeah. that compassion, you can't teach that. No. And unfortunately, them seeing and living all these years just as I did, they have a tremendous amount of compassion for anything and everything. So, and yeah. especially their dad. Yeah. Um, before we transition into three questions, I want to ask kind of, as you have brought this message all together, you're really expressing a lot of your raw experience on pages for the world to see. Um, what, is, what is a tidbit of the message that you can give if, if let's talk about a spouse right now in a similar situation we know that just having kids in those young ages can be hard enough mm -hmm. working through two people trying to figure out marriage hard enough mm -hmm. um, somebody who's in a really challenging situation what is the message of this book I guess I just really want to encourage that hope piece I I was asking why for the longest time like why me? Why this? Did I do something to deserve this? This is my fault, you know, and, and struggling with, okay, that expectation again mm -hmm. of what everybody else appears to have. And then what's really going on behind closed doors at my house that nobody knows about is everybody else faking it too. Mm. Um, right. You know, because now I look at people and I'm like, I don't know if you have it as good oh, as you, yeah. Chris, you know. Yeah. And especially in this age of social media, uh, we can put on this display. Absolutely. Of, Look how good life mm -hmm. is. I had a nice car. I had, you know, I had those things. And I think that's why I, if anything, I, I over talk when I'm talking to my friends or other people about how I, I live in a tent. Like, I'm just so <laughs> grateful. And I have a car that I don't have to worry about but putting gas in it. Those are... There's food on the table. Like mm -hmm. right now, kids and I are a little low on funds because I work at a school. I don't get paid in the summer. But you know what? They appreciate a gallon of milk and they appreciate those things. Mm -hmm. And so those are, I just feel like these are things we wouldn't have realized had we not been there. You know, so really the piece of hope, not that everyone will, their story will go the way that mine did and end right. in divorce at all. But knowing that there are other people that are feeling what you're feeling and it's okay. And it's okay to get counseling. I was ashamed to get counseling. Mm -hmm. I was told not to talk about him in counseling. So I would just sit there and cry, and my counselor's like, gee whiz, this is real productive. <laughs> but it was for me, because I'm crying, and I know what I'm crying about, yeah. and it was somebody who didn't sit there and judge me. Right. So it took a long time to build that relationship with her, but it was amazing, and it helped me mm. realize a lot of things about myself. Mm. And so I just encourage, there, there's hope, and I know it stinks, but there's always hope. That's my biggest my biggest thing I want to get across. Yeah, 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 and that's awesome. I the, the world the world needs more stories of hope and reminders that we have hope. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. All right, we're going to transition into three questions. It's the way we wrap up interesting ish every time. We begin with what's good. We go secondly into kind of what sets your heart on fire in terms of what's bad, what has gone wrong in the world that you have a heart for, and then the third one is going to be uh, what's next in terms of touch points with this book um, and your speaking opportunities, any of those things. Um, so let's just start at the ground level. When you wake up every day, what's good? What's good? My kids are healthy. 
We have a home. We even have a dog, which he brings yeah. us a lot of joy. <laughs> um, I'm just thankful that we are where we are. Um, thankful to be in this spot. You know, almost five years past this, you know, five-year period that I had talked about. Now people ask what my next book will be around. All the good stuff's in this one. Um, no, but just, just do a recipe book next. Uh, <laughs> you know, I or dog, dog stories. Yeah, you know. Um, no, I'm just, I'm just very simply put, I'm just a very grateful person. Mm-hmm. And people think that's weird, but I'm, you'll never hear me complain about the weather. If, you know, and if something's going wrong at home or whatever, to be able to simplify it, because again, the four of us, me and my three kids have been in worse. I'm just thankful for simple things. Truly, mm-hmm. truly mm-hmm. am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, there's some people that say that that's particular people's personalities and it, and it is, but I think this idea of wearing a, a shirt of, of gratefulness with every day mm-hmm. I think America could afford a lot of that, <laughs> of recognizing what we can be grateful for. Absolutely. Um, and being thankful. And even though we can go through some very hard things, mm-hmm. but waking up each day with gratefulness is a pretty sweet Truly way to start. Truly am. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what needs mending? When you wake up and you say, this is off and it, mm-hmm. and it needs some solving, what comes to mind? I don't know how I've put a lot of thought and prayer into this, especially with releasing my book. How can I reach out to people who are in a similar situation? Because mm-hmm. I went to my pastor. I asked people, do you know someone that I can talk to that really understands? Because it's one thing for a friend or a sibling to tell you you need to get out of your marriage. But he, he's struggling with mental illness. You don't just do, you know, and so it was just... I longed to find someone and due to privacy and stuff like that, I wasn't, you know, my pastor couldn't tell me and I understand that. I just don't want there to be shame mm-hmm. in, there's there's a lot of emphasis put on those who are struggling and I 100% support that. But right. I went to a lot of appointments with my ex-husband where I was told, you don't understand, you, mm-hmm. don't, you haven't done enough research, mm-hmm. this is just like any other illness, this is, you need to be better. And I was drowning. Oh, wow. And so I was told I wasn't doing enough when I feel like I'm the only one doing something. And right. so just that there doesn't need to be shame in that. Yeah. We need to reach out to each other. I would love to form a small group or something that would grow, but just a way that people can talk truthfully about, mm-hmm. you know, what it looks like for them because it's not easy. No, no. I think of the community, like a community like Al-Anon comes to mind in mm-hmm. terms of, um, those who have walked next to very hand in hand an alcoholic mm-hmm. and what the weight is on them, if we were able to expand that within um, the mental health community, um, because it is, it's it's a two way street, it's a dance. These are relationships. Mm-hmm. The weight it takes on um, all of us when when one of us is not in a good place mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, it hurts physically, emotionally, like you said. All those categories mm-hmm. take weight on the family, um, and so having empathy for everybody's walk is mm-hmm. uh, wow. That's that's just it. Yeah. And the goal of writing this wasn't at all to. That was a big piece as to why I didn't right away do it when I've had all of these thoughts. It had to be the right timing, right? But is I never would want it to seem as if I'm bad mouthing my ex husband because right. that's not it at all. Right. And that's something that is very important to me that it, this is 100% my story. And so it's, I've been told by people who have read it that don't even have someone in their family who's struggled with mental illness or whatever, but just relating even to the motherhood piece. Yes. 
of being exhausted, mm-hmm. of feeling like, can I just sleep in for once? And why do they need me all the time? And I'm always the one wiping them. You know what I mean? Yeah. All of those things. So I like to add a lot of my humor to the motherhood piece because it happens to all of us. But, and then just knowing on the inside, I'm struggling. I'm on my knees when my kids are napping, praying, just asking the Lord to bring them home safe and that he doesn't go to the bar instead. Like mm. all of that, that, it just takes a toll. Mm-hmm. And I wish I had someone I could have talked to. Yeah. I've had three people that have reached out to me, friends of mine. I had no idea in similar situations to what I was. And to just tell them I'm praying for them and what can I do? You want yeah. to meet for coffee? That's That would be amazing just to know that there's someone else that understands. Yeah. yeah. Well, I really think this book and this ability for you to be vulnerable and share is a great step in that direction. I'm, I'm very convinced um, if we can get it in front of people... Um, That'll help. That'll help. Well, that that brings us right to what's next. Let's let's talk a little bit about some connection pieces. I know there's a September event, and if I've got my act together, I'm going to release this prior to that. <laughs> um, but tell us a few ways. Let's hit the book title again. Where can people find it? And then ways that you can connect with um, the community moving forward on this. What's next? Yeah, um, so the book again is Real, A Mom's Journey from Expectation to Reality by Charlotte Gatlin, it's me. Hmm. It's available on barnesandnoble.com. Westbow Press is my publisher, it's on their website as well, and you can get it on Amazon. Awesome. So those those three places, I keep checking and to see, you know, like <laughs> what star rating do I have? Yeah, you bet. <laughs> um, but no, it's it, so it's amazing to look and see what my words, other people are reading my words. Like it has been such a, it's mind blowing. And then to hear, wow, I can't believe this. Or even those close to me that are even mentioned in my book, mm. a cousin of mine, she's just a beautiful soul. She had no idea. And she was close to me during those years. Mm-hmm. And she recently, we saw each other and she said, why didn't you tell me? And I said, I couldn't. I. I just couldn't. That was a separate thing. But moving forward, I have a book signing at Epilogue Books, which is in Rockford, Michigan, um, September 14th. Don't know what time yet on that, but that'll be really good. And I'm making connections with those in the mental health community, mm-hmm. hoping to just meet with some folks and see if there's a way that my book can be used as a resource to, you know, not only families of someone struggling but i just think in general you know anybody who just wants to see that all of these different feelings of motherhood then single motherhood you know a child whose parents diagnosed and then passes away with cancer all of those different things and i was actually meeting with someone this last week hoping it leads to something further and one of the things they were they asked is if i would be willing to talk to a group of people Mm. absolutely i would love the ability to just get some people together and chat and just be honest yeah um so if we can even just pray for each other and just keep each other in mind i would love that so i'm excited about what's to come i keep making connections yeah i'm not going to stop asking until i'm told no (laughs) so i'm persistent i told my kids there's a difference between persistence and being annoying (laughs) they think i'm annoying (laughs) i'm persistent it's a fine line (laughs) no your yeah your persistence is appreciated and you know sharing is the very first step um people having the courage to share their journey is a way that somebody else can begin to step out of maybe one of the challenges that they're in. So mm-hmm. um, I'm forever grateful for this time. And uh, we really look forward to some of those, um, the ways that this book can influence others moving forward. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. You bet.